podcast where we talk to smart people, but not necessarily done by smart people. That is an awesome question. This one goes down probably on one of my top five. Hey, I like nutrition. I like to eat food. This is the coolest thing ever. We're going to do this forever. I wish I paid more attention in that class. You know, I'm going to be honest. I don't understand that. As a man, I just, I don't get it. Welcome to smartpeoplepodcast.com. Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp, thanks for tuning in. If you have been listening with any kind of regularity over the past, oh, I don't know, 12 years, however long we've been doing this, you know that I have a certain feeling about work, about the way we work, about corporations and careers. It's not that they're bad. It's just that I don't think we get it right all the time. For that reason, I wanted to have on this guest. This week on the show, we are speaking with Julie Winkle Giulioni. And I've actually known about Julie and her work for quite some time. I've taught material that is based on one of her books. And what I love about Julie's work is she focuses on what career growth and career development really means. That's also what we're going to talk about today. Julie was named one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 speakers. She is the author of the new book, Promotions Are So Yesterday, Redefine Career Development, Help Employees Thrive. She's also the co-author of the international bestseller, Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go career conversations organizations need and employees want. And as you can guess from these book titles, she's a big champion for workplace growth, for development, for things that help executives and leaders not just optimize talent for the sake of getting more out of people, but doing it in a way that realizes it can be a win-win game. Employees can get what they want, get what they need, grow, feel happy and productive, and the byproduct of that is good work for the employer. I'm so excited to have Julie on the show. She turned out to not only be incredible and bright and talented and intelligent, but one of the kindest and most caring people I've ever met. We have actually spoken many times since because I love what she stands for and I love what she's built. I hope you do too. Let us know. We are at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com. I hope this helps you in your career endeavors, whether you are a leader helping others grow or you are looking to grow yourself. For all you parents, uncles, aunts, brothers out there that know of others who are looking to grow and thrive in their field and in their career, send them this episode. All right, let's get into it. We are talking with Julie Winkle Giulioni about her new book, Promotions Are So Yesterday, Redefine Career Development, Help Employees Thrive. Enjoy. So I want to start off, look, for those that don't know, I currently do leadership development. Everybody listening probably does know that. One of our classes, we use a framework from one of your other books, which is help them grow or watch them go. A lot of what you talk about is built around this idea of for leaders, they need to be extremely aware that the primary reason people work in an organization is so they can grow. They can be better versions of themselves. What I want to start off with is how do you view the difference between that previous book 
and your newest one, which is called Promotions Are So Yesterday. In my mind, I see it as almost the sequel. And I, I say that with a little trepidation because we know how sequels play out in most cases <laughs> uh, at the theater. Um, but Help Them Grow or Watch Them Go was really about how can we help managers busy, overburdened, stressed out managers who already have too much on their plates, how can we help them figure out how to make career development happen too? And so in Help Them Grow, the focus really was on a simple conversational framework, something that um, that took career development out of the corner that, you know, once a year, sit down for two hours, work through all the details of your career, and then put it away until next year this time. But how could we embed career conversation in the day-to-day workflow in small chunks and layer that dialogue over time to really create trust and rapport and a culture of development? And so in working with organizations over the last 10 years, doing keynotes and training and that sort of thing around help them grow or watch them go, we got tons of great feedback that I'm having better conversations. I'm having more frequent conversations. I'm, I'm building that sense of a development relationship with my folks. And yet I'm still really nervous because at the end of the day, where am I going to take that conversation? Because in most organizations, for most people, the default setting when it comes to you know career equals title, career development equals the promotions to, among those titles. And managers have pitifully little control over the where and the when and the, the who of those promotions. And so they were having great conversations, and yet they felt like, oh, okay, I'm hitting a wall. Where do I go from there? And, and it was interesting because at the same time, hearing those frustrations and fear, you know, it's a strong word, but I, I think it, it's appropriate. There's fear and anxiety about those expectations. At the same time, I was having conversations with people about what career meant to them, how they wanted to grow, and there were really deep, meaningful human answers to those questions. People wanted to contribute, and they wanted to have challenges, and they wanted to make connections with people, and they wanted to build their competence and and confidence. And so these two experiences, they just didn't square. And so I thought, that's the next book. We've got to figure out how can we redefine career development, expand the definition of career development in a way that's consistent with what people really want and what managers and organizations can really deliver upon. In your experience, what do people really want? Because I have found that promotion is just the easy answer to a difficult question. Yeah. Oh, I love, I love the way you frame that, Chris. An easy answer to a difficult question. What I'll frequently say is it's a, a structural solution to a human problem. I love it. And the, you know, there are just so many metaphors that I could throw out here, but, but, but maybe the simplest one is we've only had promotion on the menu for all these years. When we think about, when we talk about career development, that's the brain just gets hijacked and that's where everyone goes. 
And so as a result of the field research that I had engaged in, these conversations I was having, the patterns became clear. And I I actually identified seven other dimensions that employees consistently said were really interesting and important to them. And those seven dimensions, um, along with that classic climb up the corporate ladder, which isn't going anywhere, make up what I refer to at the, the heart of the new book, Promotions or So Yesterday, as the multidimensional career framework. So it, so that was a long prelude to your question, what do people really want? Um, so let me answer that. The What people really want are contribution. They want to build their competence. They want to enhance their connections with each other in the organization. They want to build greater confidence. They want to step up to new challenges that stretch them beyond what they know. They want to build greater contentment. They want more choice. And then the final C, as you you notice, those were all C words, is that climb up the corporate ladder. But like I said, the problem with climb is it's completely out of, or primarily out of the control of managers and employees, whereas all those other Cs, those other dimensions, they live squarely within the locus of control of managers and employees to affect. How much of a manager's job do you think it is to understand the order of preference of those C words in their employees? It's, it's vitally important for a manager to to understand that um, career development is not a one-size-fits-all sort of scenario. In fact, I, I wrote an article recently and, and likened it to bespoke cocktails. You know, when you go into those cool hip lounges. That's, <laughs> no, it's Joe. like you know me. I tell everybody I prefer an $18 cocktail. Like, give me oh. that every day of the week. So anyway, I'm good. <laughs> And you're paying for not just the cocktail, but that mixologist who hasn't, you know, isn't going to give you a menu of the standard stuff. He's going to do an intake and figure out what do you like and how are you feeling and what vibe is it tonight? And, and then creates this custom experience that I would never know to ask for, but he knew what to ask me to be able to, to create it. Um, and so in a way, you know, I, I don't know whether cocktails in the workforce are probably the, the way to be thinking about this, but managers have an opportunity to create this custom career cocktail for their folks. And it does demand understanding what people are most interested in. Um, it's interesting because when I developed the framework, I knew that these were all important to people. But in the back of my mind, I had to wonder, like, when it really comes down to it, where do these things fall vis-a-vis climbing the corporate ladder and what goes along with that? So we did this validation study with about 750 folks worldwide and just asked them to rank these items from most interesting down to least interesting. And when the data came back, I was blown away because in aggregate, all of those alternative Cs are more interesting to people than the climb up the corporate ladder. It doesn't surprise me. It doesn't? No. That was a mind-blowing moment for me. Well, well, here's why. I think that when you ask somebody, what do you want to do? Again, it's easy to say, I want this promotion, I want this title, because that societally shows your value, your worth, your growth, your expertise, all the things we crave, right? 
But if you dig in, I don't think anybody says, I want to give away half of my life just so you call me something different. I think the it's what's underlying, which carries the weight, which is what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. You know, I've um, for years worked with managers to try to shift the conversation from the what do I want to be to a what do I want to do sort of conversation. Because from the time we're kids, we're asked, what do you want to be when you grow up? I mean, we are, are sort of programmed to think about success in the workplace being what they call me, you know, what my title is. And then people come to the workplace and managers inadvertently will reinforce that with the, where do you see yourself in three to five years? They know they don't have those promotions or that they have pitifully few, and yet they reinforce that expectation that growth means going somewhere else. And so you're absolutely right. If we can change the conversation, shift it into what do you want to do, those underlying factors come out. And now with the multidimensional career framework, We've gone from having a very limited language around career development, you know, just the promotion, to a broader vocabulary. More is there on the, the menu, to go back to that metaphor. See, and that brings a level of depth that comes from your experience, which is this idea of why do we ask, what do you want to be? I mean, I've got, I've got two little boys. I, I, I ask them now. And what's funny is they're young enough where they don't know what that means. So they will still tell me what they want to do. So I'll give you an example. Uh, My six-year-old, when he about a year ago, it was the first time he said, I want to be a fish doctor. Now we then went on to tell him, oh, marine biologist. And now that's what he'll answer. But when I say why, you know, he doesn't care what you call him. He's just fascinated by that. So the fish. Yeah. So that's such an interesting way of how our societal norms shape our values, which shape our decisions, which aren't always the right way to go about it. Yes. Yeah. Well, and especially now, Chris, when you think about how fast the world is moving, um, the Institute for the Future of Work, their study says 85% of the jobs that we're going to be doing in 2030 haven't been invented. I saw that in your book. I, I I just, I can't let go of that statistic. I think I, I bring me it up either. every time I talk about this. It's so profound to me. In eight years, just eight years from now, I think about eight years ago, it was yesterday, 85% of the jobs that we're going to be doing, we don't even know about. And so it it's great to be asking your kids, what do you want to do? I want to help fish. I want to do so. I mean, there's still going to be fish. Um, it, it, when, when your kids are ready to, yeah, to get there, hope. but we, um, but to, to have them thinking in terms of the kind of work they want to do and the contributions that they want to make and, and the way they want to work, how work fits into their life, those answers and that kind of clarity offers the direction that will feed into whatever that future looks like, whatever the roles are that are necessary and whatnot. It's just, it's such a, a more powerful and opportunity-filled way of helping kids and, you know, big kids, adults, think differently about work. And now a quick word from this week's sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. As the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster and for free. 
Create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Then add your job in the purple hashtag hiring frame to your LinkedIn profile to spread the word that you're hiring so your network can help you find the right people to hire. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash smart. That's linkedin.com slash smart to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to the episode. And we all are just big kids. That's fantastic. I There's this elephant in the room that's weighing on me, and I couldn't wait to discuss this with you. Can the idea that we're discussing here, employee development, not focused on things like title and pay, can it be done well at scale and especially in large organizations where there is such an emphasis on autonomy, flat org structures, and executing just to sustain performance? Absolutely. Okay. And in fact, it, uh, it must be. Um, when I think about career development in general, career development, from my perspective, is a relationship between manager and employee, and perhaps, you know, a, a, a broader network around them. It's less of a relationship between the employee and the organization. And so, despite what's happening in the organization, and most organizations are flatter, most have been delayered, most until recently have found boomers working longer, occupying spots on the org chart longer than some of the newer entrants to the workforce would have liked. There are all sorts of impediments that, um, that create a, a limited playing field if you're going to define career development by positions and promotions and moves. What makes this multidimensional career framework scalable is it lives within the relation to the development relationship between the manager and the employee. All of those seven dimensions are within the control of managers and employees to affect. So if a manager and employee come to an understanding that that employee is particularly interested in, say, contribution, which in our study was the number one most interesting of the dimensions, which to me is just such a hopeful uh, message to managers. But if we decide, okay, I'm really interested in stepping up and doing something maybe a little bit new, putting myself out there, um, maybe getting a little bit of visibility in the process, making a difference in this space, managers can say yes to that. And together we can craft a plan to make that happen and to make it happen in a way that, oh, by the way, is going to deliver on the development and growth goals that that individual has. So it's reciprocal. They're giving and they're getting something in return. I think that I think that's the key point that you say, right? Because my experience has been that 
even when managers know they need to do this and they do it, there's nothing that comes off the plate, right? So they have a development conversation. Somebody says, I want to get better at ABC. Manager says, great. We've got a stretch opportunity for you. Go do that. And the person is saying, I'm already operating at max capacity. I think the way of work right now is just crazy. And then they say, I can't do that. So now we're sacrificing one of a few things, which is sanity, you know, regular life uh, or those growth opportunities, because we can't fit any more in the calendar. How do we handle that balance of overwork, wanting to grow, stretch opportunities, all of those things? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and, and it operates on such an individual level for each of, the, of us. At its core, Chris, I think you've, you've started to tease out what the, the answer is. And it is a matter of embedding the development into the work. That it can't be something separate from or additional to. And so, for instance... You know, maybe it's not a new stretch assignment. Maybe there's just not the bandwidth for someone to take on something new. Maybe it's a matter of looking at one dimension of someone's role and figuring out within that context, where can you stretch? Where do you need to step up a little bit differently? Where could the deliverables operate at a different level? Or where could you reduce cycle times to make, you know, whatever the, the challenge might be. But if you embed that within the envelope of what folks are already doing so that the work delivers the d- development and the development then contributes to the work, um, that may be one way to get around the eternal time crunch. I did some research before the pandemic and I can only imagine it's it's amplified since, you know, because our original research for Help Them Grow found that time was the number one impediment for managers. And so this research about three years ago found that time was the number one impediment uh, getting in the way of development for employees as well. And it was interesting, the gender difference, women reported that it was additional work responsibilities that were styming them and getting in the way of them taking on more development. Men reported that it was additional home and outside of work responsibilities that had been added to their plate that was ma- would make it difficult for them to take on development. It's hard not to internalize things, you know, as the host. I'm mm-hmm. always trying to keep people in mind, but that makes sense. Like my wife likes to say, if all you could do is work, It'd be pretty close to that, you know? And so I think I'm not sure in that statement how much, of course, it's individualized, but gender norms, some of which are, you know, propagated by society, not all of which are negative. I think a lot of men grow up being told they have to be the provider. So when that is your frame of reference and that becomes a pretty singular important goal, then the things that quote unquote prevent you from that such as life and family mm-hmm. can be seen as the impediment as opposed to vice versa. Yeah. So it makes sense. So. Yeah. Maybe so. You know? I also interpreted it as, you know, more and more men taking on uh, more responsibility in the workplace or at, at in, in home, at home. At home. Um, you know, yeah. I look at the families 
the young families that I'm familiar with. And uh, the men are just deeply engaged in the education and making sure there's food on the table and getting kids to ballet and soccer and, and whatnot. So it's, a, I think, a different cadence um, for younger families as well. I was just, I mean, two hours ago talking to my wife about coaching my son's baseball. And I was like, I really want to. It's my favorite sport. Oh, work. Oh, this. So I get it. And actually, I'm glad you mentioned that. The, the second question I've really been dying to ask you is, from the employee perspective, the work and time difficulties, I've seen it for a long time. It's, it's still there. It's getting worse. But from the leadership perspective, I really feel for people leaders these days because tight job market, a lot of turnover, razor thin margins, companies trying to do more with less. I see leaders being asked to be executors. So go do work. Strategizers create the strategy, right? Cheerleaders talk about the strategy. And now they have to be coaches, which in and of itself is a full-time job. I love the concepts of, of what you talk about. I wonder how much pushback do you get from leaders and then how do you help them get over the hump to, to integrate this into their job? Yeah, a couple of things, a couple of answers to that. First is right on. I mean, managers and leaders today have never been more overburdened. Before the pandemic, it was an incredibly challenging role to step up to. And what folks have done over the last two years to pivot and take care of their folks and their customers and change business models, it's truly extraordinary. Managers are my heroes uh, in that regard. That said, as we look at the scope of responsibilities that they're responsible for, people, people leadership may be job one. And I say that because so much of what needs to get done is going to be done through those people. And so prioritizing the development and the care and feeding of people is in a manager or leader's best interest to enable, remove the roadblocks, to make sure that everyone who works for them to, can go forth and produce uh, everything that's necessary. The other thing I would say is I've come to think about career development as a bit of a Swiss army knife. You know, because with a Swiss army knife, you've got this one small device and all of these different things that you can do, and you're going to see, I was not a, a you know an Eagle Scout uh, growing up because I all I know about is <laughs> the corkscrew. So <laughs> <laughs> um, but I understand there are lots of different things that the Swiss Army knife can do, and it's the same with career development. You know, it's linked to engagement, and we know engagement then unlocks discretionary effort. It's linked to retention. It's linked to innovation, um, you know, sick days, you know, just people showing up. There's so much that development supports. So for a busy manager who has to make choices about where to spend their time, development might be among the most um, high leveraged or highly leverageable of the actions that they take and the time that they invest. And then finally, a third Third thought is we've 
We've traditionally thought about career development as just this exclusive relationship between manager and employee, right? And, and that's wonderful. Employees want to feel the love, the attention, the, the investment that their managers are making. But maybe it's time to think about the career development relationship more broadly. I'm working with a lot of organizations right now to not just think about those IDPs, the individual development plans, but a CDP, a collaborative development plan, where an employee invites a small group of supporters together to help them think through, you know, what are my goals? How do I want to get that? get that to to happen and and be accomplished. And with that support can go to the manager and then begin crafting whatever the the plan might be. But, you know, the manager, especially in a remote environment, can be very far away from the point that that individual is operating in. Peers, contractors, employees, suppliers, you know, others in their realm might be a lot closer to be able to hold folks accountable and provide the day-to-day support they need to pursue pursue the growth they say they want. One of the things that jumped out to me is this idea of leverage. I used to teach a lot on productivity, and the idea that it's about time management anymore is an antiquated idea. You, there's no more managing time. You could do 24-7. I know you you gave a TED talk on on the idea of focus and constantly doing and always driving and so now we have to focus on the things that have leverage, right? Where, where we can put in one ounce and we get three in return. And that is primarily and specifically how leaders are viewed. And I think oftentimes it's a hard realization to say, I'm not going to do the task. I mean, that's a lot of what you talk about. Yeah, yeah. And this may sound Pollyanna-ish, but... You know, in the ideal world, if a manager is really invested in developing their folks, if that's job one to that manager, those folks are going to become more capable and may be able to take on some of those roles that the manager can't get around to. And those may be roles that offer development to the individual, that enrich their job, that get them more engaged and excited about what they're doing. So there's something in it for a manager to to invest in development and grow capacity um, because it may allow them more time to invest in people and growth and, and capacity. Yeah. Well, I wanted to jump into your framework. So as you talked about, contribution, competence, connection. I have a few that I outlined that I wanted to discuss. And the first one was confidence. And the reason is I have found that the right level of confidence is one of the most important ingredients to success in anything, right? And it's a hard balance because you have to get to a point of confidence so others believe in you, but you can't go too far. And I also found that when we're being so agile and we're moving so fast, we're always doing new things. And humans, many of the time, struggle with being confident in things they haven't done before, right? That's the definition. So how do we build confidence in people when we're constantly asking them to do new, bigger, better stretch things? Yeah, yeah. And just before we go there, I love your idea of figuring out what the right balance point is. 
because confidence, you know, any strength, I forget uh, who said it, any strength overused becomes a liability. And yes. confidence overused um, can certainly get in the way of the humility that, uh, that most leaders find to be uh, an engaging quality. And so how do you find that, that confident yet humble sort of, of uh, stature as a leader becomes, um, it, it's a, a tight rope that, that you're walking. Um, but you're right, you know, in a world where every time we turn around, we're being asked to pivot, um, to use that way over overused word, and exactly. to take on new ways of figuring out to innovate and whatnot. It does keep folks, you know, on the, the edge of their seats. And so what's required for folks to continue to put themselves out there, to risk, to experiment, to potentially fail, is to know that they've got a supportive environment. You know, the, the presence of psychological safety is, is key. I know for myself, I'm willing, in, in, as I think back on my career, I was willing to jump out there way farther than I was comfortable if I knew I had a manager who had my back. If the consequences were not going to be deadly, if they were going to be able to reel me in if I got too far out there. And so the, the relationship, the level of trust um, between manager and employee becomes key. And then, frankly, the structure for going through whatever the process is to gain greater confidence. You know, it's not an on and off switch. Um, and it's not even a matter of, okay, you want to become more confident, then, you know, go do this. It's go do this and what kinds of structure and scaffolding will, will make that comfortable for you. Where are the roadblocks going to be? What do you need from me and from others? And then the ongoing support, the touching base, the checking in, the being there when there are the highs and the lows throughout the process. And with all of the dimensions, you know, with any kind of development, the key is to make sure we're extracting the learning from the experience. Because so frequently we go through all these experiences and then it's on to the next and we don't pause and say, okay, what did you learn? How are you different today than you were before? What can you do now? And when it comes to confidence, what are you confident doing today that you felt wobbly about before? When we do that, we help people integrate the learning, and we also help them recognize it as learning and development before it just passes and it's one more activity. That, I love that you just articulated that. I, I had this conversation with somebody recently, and you're the expert, but I'm going to tell everybody my experience, which was, let's say you have something you want to learn, and then you dedicate time to it, or it's on the job, or whatever. A year, six months, whatever, two years later, go teach somebody or talk to somebody about that thing. And you will be amazed at how much you learn that you didn't recognize. I just had this experience recently. Somebody was asking me about something that I've only been doing for about a year. And as I'm talking, they were like, whoa, whoa, whoa slow down. Like, this is way too much. And the joy I got from realizing the growth of a year, which really isn't that much time, was worth 
you know, it, it carried me through what felt like a struggle. And so I, I love how you put words to that idea um, and would recommend people do it because you want to know that the, the, the hardships were worth it. Yeah, for sure. And it's just, you know, employees and managers are like, we are, everybody's so busy that it's hard to take time to reflect on that. And I find myself wondering, to be honest, when you look at like um, LinkedIn's study where they found 94% of people said they'd stay longer in a job if they felt like an investment was being made in their development. I wonder how many of those folks are actually getting an investment and they're not recognizing it. The manager isn't having them teach it back or talk about it, just closing the loop or even just planting the flag and calling it what it is, which is development. I think it's it's time for, I don't know, it, it sounds kind of goofy, but for managers to, to start messaging development differently so that people yes. can call it what it is. That is such a good point. Working and learning and development, when I see people like, I want growth, and then we see we have to go market classes or something, you know, I'm like, it's there. It's free. Like, do it, you know? And of course, again, the underlying theme is, is time, I think, is an issue, and it is, but everything's a choice. I wanted to drill down a little bit, see if you had any thoughts on this, because I'd love to leave managers with multiple things to take away, which they already have. You talked about to instill confidence, uh, build that trust so people know they can fail and you'll have their back. I think that's one of those things that's easier said than done. What else do you think leaders can do aside from saying it? Like, look, I'll be there, which most leaders, I think, say, but that doesn't quite get them there. What else could they do to build the trust so that people take leaps and grow and do better work? What, what many leaders may do, but they don't bring voice to, is the whole risk analysis piece of it. So when employees understand that you have gone through the process of really analyzing and you, you talk about what could go wrong and where the, the real death traps are, where we're going to get in serious trouble and we'll miss a deadline or the customer will be dissatisfied or whatever. What's not, you know, what we can't risk, but where we can risk, that's a huge um, weight off of the employee's shoulders because without that kind of overt risk analysis conversation, everything feels like it could be the death risk. You know, any misstep feels like it could be stepping off into an abyss. So on the front end, that's a a huge piece, um, I believe, of creating a a greater sense of of safety, confidence as, as people move forward into new and challenging situations. The other thing that's, you know, so powerful, not in just this regard, but in leadership in general, is our storytelling. When leaders are willing to be vulnerable and share their stories authentically, the ones where they stepped off into the abyss and what happened and how they got themselves back on track, um, that's really powerful because, you know, they're still standing. They're still in the organization. They weren't, um, they weren't axed. And that speaks volumes to the individual about um, the consequences you know, associated with experimentation and with risk-taking. And then the final thing I might say really has to do with the being there after you say, I'll be there. 
you know, I got your back. It's one thing to say it. Words, words are easy. Um, it's the actions that really matter. And the stepping in to check in on people, um, for folks to know they've got an open door to, to go and get the support that they need. And then how the manager shows up when something goes wrong is, is huge. Uh, I, I know for myself, um, early on in my career, it was ridiculous when I think about it. I was, I don't know, 20 years old, and I talked to the store manager where I was doing special promotions into letting me bring the circus to town, or more, more accurately, into the parking lot. I thought it would be a great promotion to have the circus come. And bless his heart, he said, okay. And so we had the circus come. And I can tell you, Chris, there were a lot of unintended consequences associated with a circus in your parking lot. And I'm just, I'm just going to say elephants and right, exactly. and I'll leave it at I that. I I have an idea. Yeah. <laughs> and anyway, at 20 years old, I hadn't thought it all through. And this the stuff was hitting the fan, let us say. <laughs> and this man had every right to throw me under the bus or under the, you know, the circus truck um, in that case. And the way he stepped up and stepped in to help immediately take care of the short-term problems that were necessary, to work with me literally shoulder to shoulder that weekend to deal with the ongoing sorts of issues that were occurring. And then the way he coached me afterward, um, I, I'll just never forget um, the level of, and, and, and it was a, back to your balance point, it was this level of both support, but also holding me accountable. You know, he didn't swoop in and take it away from me. He made me keep you know, picking the stuff up, as it were, um, and to learn from it. Just incredibly powerful. I want to ask you about contribution. You said something earlier, which was the fact that contribution came up so much is a real bright spot, is a real uh, optimistic story. And I, I agree. And I believe that. And I believe it in people. And that is primarily what most want. That said, I often feel companies aren't really set up to focus on contribution. And so when we're dealing with globalization, scale, streamlines, supply chain issues, all of these things, we just got to get it out the door. And oftentimes the message becomes, if we don't, how do we pay you? How do we give raises? How do we keep up with inflation? When this fear of basic needs to an extent being met are there, what happens to contribution? And then how can leaders help people find that so that they feel that contribution piece and they stay? Yeah. Yeah. So contribution kind of, in my mind, operates on a couple of different levels. On the one level, it's about that human need to step up and make a difference and be of service, to, to do something, to leave something um, better behind. And then the other piece of it is this notion of sort of living on purpose, um, working in a way that's consistent with my, my values and being able to bring expression to that. 
So in thinking about the first definition, the, the stepping up and making a difference, the good news is the things that you talked about, about scaling and supply chain and getting things out the door, all of that is actually fodder for contribution. I mean, when you look at most organizations, there are problems, challenges, pinch points, voids that really need people who are willing to step in there and take those on. And so the beauty of thinking about that from a contribution standpoint is you've got a vehicle there for someone to grow in really powerful, profound ways while also doing something that the organization actually needs. So in that particular case, it feels to me like all of the challenges that seem like they could get in the way of people contributing actually are the invitation for people to contribute. The other side of it, that whole living on purpose thing and, and your guest um, that you had talked with before, mm -hmm. um, increasingly, and yeah, I think we were seeing it before, but the pandemic these last two years of, of deep soul searching have really helped people to get clear on what matters most to them. And, and you're seeing it as much as I am. You know, folks are leaving the, the pay and the perks to find ways to live on purpose, to live out their values. And organizations, I was just reading an article about, you know, this recently, organizations are increasingly having to look at how can they um, better align what they're doing with the kind of purpose that people are, are looking for. The good news is most organizations are, are doing something of value. They're solving a need. They're helping a customer. They're, they're doing something that makes someone's world better. And so in many cases for managers, you know, the opportunity is how do we build that breadcrumb trail and remind people that, yeah, I know you're doing this little thing over here, but this little thing goes into this thing and it gets bigger and pretty soon the customer would not be able to operate if you didn't do this thing over here. I think that is one of the most important pieces, what you just said. So much of us get lost in the day-to-day. -day. We just do. I had a manager, a very senior manager I was talking to the other day and said, look, one of the biggest things I learned is look back on every day and ask yourself, did what I do matter, right? Matter to the people, matter to the company, matter to my family. And if there's too many days in a row where the answer to that is no, doesn't mean leave. It means what's in your sphere of influence to do something about that. And I just... I love it. And as leaders, we can be the ones, right? If you've got six people that report to you, you've got a six X multiple that you can create that breadcrumb trail for. That's so good. The other thing is you said challenges are the invitation to contribute. That's going to be a TikTok quote, by the way. I'm just letting you know that part of the video is going on TikTok because it's just such a good point. You know, uh, the amount of times, and I struggle with it, we, we ask for simplicity, but recognize we want challenge. I mean, and it's proven time and time again, Ryan Holiday, we had him on the show and he talks about the obstacle is the way. I had somebody else on the show, I'm blanking on who it was. They talked a lot about how uh, it was called something like trial by fire or, or something. And without those, you know, people don't really want to sit on a beach and sit my ties all the time. It's nice for a couple of weeks. Well, 
and there are times in our career where we do have to back off. I don't know about sitting on the beach and drinking yes. my times, but there are times when we do have to cultivate that contentment, the the joys, yeah. the ease, the the balance. But you're right. I think most of us show up for work every day wanting to do something to make a difference. Now, this this TikTok thing, I hope you're going to dance as whatever is being said. <laughs> yeah. That's the only way no, it's going to work. Taking... <laughs> No, I'm taking a clip of you saying that awesome line, and that's going to be it. Don't worry. It'll be good. We'll record a dance afterward. We'll we'll figure something out. (laughs) I think that's it. Listen, Julie, I've been such a fan of your work. It was really um, fantastic to get a chance to talk with you. Your books have shaped so much of what is growth and conversations and communication within organizations. It's really important work because of the amount of time we spend there. This new book, Promotions Are So Yesterday, Redefine Career Development, Help Employees Thrive. We will, of course, link to that. I know you've got a TEDx talk, which is fantastic. I watched that. Anywhere else you find that people, it could be leaders, it could be employees, could go and learn from you outside of your books here. Oh, thank you for asking, Chris. Yeah, my website is juliewinklegiuliani.com. And uh, there is a big button at the top of it that can take people directly to an online self-assessment that relates to the multidimensional career framework. So if an employee or a manager wants to figure out kind of what's most interesting and alive for me right now, uh, you click on the button, take about 15 minutes, and it generates. It's a, a confidential email report that gives you a sense of the overall framework, but also what you're most interested in and how you might want to move that forward. We're going to link to that. I am going to go take it as soon as we hang up. I want to see. Now you've got me hooked. Right. Well done. Very well done. This week's guest was Julie Winkle Giulioni. It was hosted by Chris Stemp and produced by yours truly, John Rojas. Julie's book, Promotions Are So Yesterday, Redefine Career Development, Help Employees Thrive, is available now wherever books are sold. If you'd ever like to reach out to the podcast, you can email us at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smartpeoplepod. And if you enjoy the show and you would like to support us, please head over to Patreon at patreon.com slash smartpeoplepodcast. Signing up as a patron not only supports us financially, but it gives you access to the show ad-free. And of course, if you want to stay up to date with all things Smart People Podcast, head over to the website, smartpeoplepodcast.com, and sign up for the newsletter. All right, that's it for us this week. Make sure you stay tuned because we've got a lot of great interviews coming up, and we'll see you all next episode. 